After our first episode on this topic, I think I've begun to lean more towards being against the death penalty. However, here's a question I've been grappling with. Is there such a crime or circumstance that truly warrants the death penalty regardless of the cost or moral implications? If we do end up banning it due to the margin of error with wrongful convictions, could it still be an option for a situation as heinous as 9-11 or the Boston Marathon bombing. What I'm having trouble with is if allowing government to have this ultimate power leads to a slippery slope, and if killing is healthy for our society's psyche. For example, imagine if Osama bin Laden had been captured alive. What would be the appropriate consequence for that level of criminal? I know many would argue death isn't punishment enough, and perhaps years of torture in a small cell would be best. Or something more barbaric, like a public stoning or public hanging. That would be an emotional response, though. Of course, we'd all love to see that, but it w- would it be good for us? Would that ease our conscience and provide us with a sense of justice? Emotions run deep, especially with such an infamous event. How do we control our emotions and fix our, at times, broken criminal justice system? I hardly have any of the answers on this topic because I'm so conflicted myself. I honestly don't know where I stand. Stay tuned as we hash out some more of these nuanced situations and look at more arguments for and against capital punishment. Enjoy the show. In my experience, conversations are best had with a glass of whiskey. Join me, Alan Kogan, as I engage in meaningful discussions while enjoying a glass of my favorite spirit. Welcome to the Kogan Conversation. This episode is brought to you by our favorite spirit, whiskey. We enjoy conversations more when there's a drink in our hand. During this conversation, I'm enjoying a glass of Black Maple Hill bourbon. Once revered in the same league as Pappy Van Winkle when it was sourced from the Stitzel Weather Distillery, Black Maple Hill has changed hands numerous times and is now bottled in Oregon at the Stein Distillery. While still a quality bourbon, it no longer has the same excitement behind it and has become more of a rare find with its now limited distribution. Honey dominates the flavor profile in this glass, rounded off with peppery caramel and toffee. This is one of my favorite bourbons, but it's very hard to find and also overpriced. If you can find it, I definitely recommend it. Now, let's get back to the show. Cheers. Why do I support the death penalty? In a word, justice. In three words, they deserve it. I'm a retributivist. I believe in retribution. As a retributivist, for me and for my fellow retributivists, the past counts. It counts independently of the future. So the wrong question to ask us about punishment is, what good will it do? The right question to ask us is, what bad has been done? In the hundred or so murderers whom I've interviewed at length, in depth, to get their life stories and to get them to expound upon the crimes they committed and why they committed. What's emerged for me are two groups who I would say are clearly the worst of the worst of the worst. Remember again, Aristotle says evil lies at the extremes. At one extreme is the cold, callous, wanton killer who feels nothing. I'm thinking about one of the, actually two spray shooters whom I interviewed. Then there's the opposite extreme I've interviewed and stood near people like Danny Rawling, sadistic serial killers who raped, tortured, and mutilated their victims. And as they describe it in the moments of their doing it, they were very emotionally involved. They weren't cold and callous. They, had th- they, they felt thrill and exhilaration. These people deserve to die. 
and we have an obligation to kill them. The application of the death penalty in the United States is completely unequal and unfair um, in terms of on a racial, along racial lines and along uh, economic lines and, uh, and other dimensions. Another attribute or defect, as I see it in the capital punishment system, uh, is the uh, likelihood of error being made. Uh, the wrong person. We've seen over the last um, 15 or 20 years since the uh, Innocence Project was first established, uh, something in the range of about 150 individuals who have been exonerated from, from uh, death sentences because errors were made during the uh, trial or, and or in the, in the investigation that led to the trial. I think we have to get rid of the death penalty once and for all. Coming into this second part, I was desperately searching for an argument on the, the side of pro-death penalty. And, I, and I, the only justifications I could find were kind of emotionally based. P people think that it, just society in general, especially if you poll people, that people think that being tougher on sentencing is a better deterrent and gives more justice or or. or or eases the conscience of the family or the victim or you know whoever's involved and it's like that you can't measure that you can't measure the feeling of okay well I've moved on because that person was put to death because they killed my loved one you you can't measure that metric it's very difficult to other than having a pole and a feeling thermometer and that changes over time right it could be this thing where you know that week it feels good because that person was put to death and you feel better about it because yeah fuck that guy he killed my loved one or raped my loved one but then years go by and you start to you might have to you might sit sit on it different you might it might be a different thing to swallow so that's why i always came at the death penalty with you know i don't know if i agree with removing it as an option 100% i think there there might be areas where it, it it has its place and I, and maybe that's reserved for, and we can get, get into this further, but high profile cases or things that are just so supremely heinous that it's better for the social psyche that these people are eliminated from existence. I've always put that metric on for me, for just the general populace, for just the, the, the run of the mill murder or violent rape or whatever, that would have a death penalty in, in a state like Texas or, or such. I would want a video, like you said, that has, that is irrefutable evidence showing you know this person at this time with this weapon did this thing and it's just you can't even deny it happened because we have all the evidence in the world and the proof that, that you just it's undeniable it's and how often does that happen and maybe that metric for that purpose was correct in 1990 to 2005 when vhs was mostly the thing that we were using and you can't really doctor the, the video that much because we don't have the technology to make it to the naked eye, no difference. But nowadays, like you had said, deep faking and, and you now, yeah, you can frame people for crimes that they didn't commit. Could we have technology that that brainwashes people into being able to do something with a radio frequency or something and they do it and they kill? Are they a murderer? Or what about someone who is being threatened by maybe they have their family held hostage and they say, hey, you have to go plant this bomb and blow up a building. Otherwise, I kill your family. Are they guilty of blowing up up the building and killing a hundred people. We, you know, there's there's all these weird layers of of how do we define what the criminal or who the criminal is, and then on top of that, 
the devices that the actual criminals use might be advancing into a scary situation where, you know, they could just build a full on robot in 2075 that looks like you. And then the robot can go away undetected. And now you're framed. And oh, yeah, that irrefutable evidence on video is actually then the video is not even doctored. It's actually just a, a life model decoy of you. So now what? In the last episode, I was talking about the classic story of the revenge tale. It's a it's a story as, as old as time itself. Well, it's a similar thing with the the story of the uh, the mistaken identity, you know, like it's classic Hitchcockian stuff like North by Northwest. It's a dude with the same exact name might even look the exact same, but it's not the guy and he's being framed for something he didn't actually do. Or it's a, it's a case of like, ooh, like you don't know if this person actually did it or not. And there's a mystery behind it. And um, all these things have bases in reality, too. Like you bring up this like kind of mind control killer, like a sleeper agent almost. And obviously that's kind of like a tried and true trope in these kind of thriller action sort of movies. But even just looking at what's recently come out about like MK Ultra and the CIA uh, during the 60s and 70s and their experiments with like LSD and stuff and how like Manson was related to that. And he's basically mind controlling people into killing people. Yeah. At what point does the responsibility go beyond yourself? Like Manson was put in prison, but he didn't kill anybody like directly. His hand never killed a person, but he's the one in prison for it as responsible for those deaths. Going into the future, I mean, it it does make me more weary about like I'm already hesitant about like what news stories I can trust. You see a headline and you're like, oh, this is something from NBC News or something from the New York Times. And you you read the article and you're like, OK, this. Yeah, this this all seems well researched and stuff like that. And then two months later, you can find out that the whole article has been completely debunked. But nobody's going to go back and look at that, let alone the majority of the people didn't even read the article. They'll read headline and think they know an entire story about a thing. And it goes back to this, what you're saying about like, maybe it should just be the high profile cases, but it gets into this weird, like morality area of like, what is a life worth? Like, yeah, my neighbor down the road gets murdered. Maybe that case doesn't get as much coverage, but Leonardo DiCaprio gets stabbed tomorrow and dies. And suddenly like, we're going to demand death for whoever killed our, our Leo, you know? Well, you made that point last time about Derek Chauvin. And that there was this massive outcry for what was largely a bipartisan and none of this, this is a thing too about our, our society right now is that everything is political. It's either Democrat or Republican. I hate that nonsense, but it was for the most part a bipartisan response to the fact that he did not conduct himself as he should have as an officer, period. I don't think there and were many- that's plain as day in the video that is there. Exactly. So, there, you know, it's, it's hard- so we have a common ground where it's like, yep, he he screwed up. So, but now people who are who have been using the social justice summer that had just happened as you know a, a reason for you know retribution and vengeance, and it's like, you know what, we're tired of this. It's happening all the time. There's videos of cops doing things we don't agree with. So we should put this one to death as an example. That's to me, even though I might agree with the fact that there is a problem in our police system that does not that, that that's not how we solve problems in this country it, it's almost like like would you support your son or daughter at in kindergarten who was getting bullied by an upperclassman like third grader on the playground 
would you, and, and they, let's say you, they pushed you down and they got their knee scraped, would you support the teacher then getting the kids together in a circle on the playground and then tying the third grader up so they couldn't defend themselves and having the kindergartner just swiftly kick that guy in the balls? Like, is that the kind of society we want to live in? That sounds very barbaric. That sounds like what the Taliban is instituting in Afghanistan as we speak right now. That I don't want that to be, we have a justice system for a reason. The, I think the, the larger question though is, at what point is it better for the social psyche and the conscious of the country to get rid of someone in a way that out of sight, out of mind? Does that mean a Guantanamo Bay style, maybe I don't want to say torture cell, but a place that's like, you know what, it's more of a harsh punishment to go rot away in a cell and, and, and just sit there with no sunlight for 60 plus years. And all you get is like the most downtrodden meal just so you can continue to breathe and that's all you get or what if in an alternate reality osama bin laden had been captured and not killed what do we do with him you know he's he's not only a uh you know a criminal to the united states because of what he did or what he orchestrated at 9 11 but he's also a, a criminal for the rest of the world he's orchestrated other terrorist attacks and people have carried things out in his name what do we do with him does the do is do we have the jurisdiction for that? Or is there is there a public outcry that's so large and large enough that does that demand then a public execution style thing like the 1880s where we would have a hanging a hanging uh, park in the middle of the street? I don't I don't know. And I, I don't I would hate to leave it to like a like a referendum like, hey. Uh, society, what do you, what should we do with this person after they did this thing? I would, I would wager to bet that probably 85% would say, let's kill him or stone him in the street or, or, you know, tar and feather him. And it's like, uh, that's an emotional response. And I don't know the purpose of the state is to shift the burden, but do we want to give the state the power to kill? I can't, I can't answer that question. I'm so conflicted. I don't know. What to, I don't know what to do. Yeah. So Speaking of these, so like a, a large group of people, like someone like like Osama bin Laden, we pin 9-11 on him because he was the mastermind behind it. Like that was like that was that's the narrative that is out there, whether there's other forces at play and why it happens. It, it doesn't matter at this point because we have an entire country that sees this one man as our enemy. And so, yes, we have a very much a national outcry to execute this person. I'm going to just go back into the weeds for a bit here and, and talk directly about the Derek Chauvin trial and maybe get into some of that that video evidence that was brought even before the trial because what kicked it off was just one cell phone video from one bystander of this guy w who was perceived to be doing something that was like unimpeachably bad like he was kneeling on this dude's neck say, crying out for his mother saying he can't breathe and he dies on camera horrifying terrible but then it very quickly you, you came out because these officers were in body cams that oh well maybe george floyd was on some drugs um beforehand uh he was shouting i can't breathe before he was living on the ground with a knee on his neck and there's all these different angles that were coming out before the trial that like obviously turn into a left right thing where it's like people on the left just want to disregard all that like oh that's fake news i saw the video i know what i saw it's murder People on the right, it's like, well, there's all these things. He was on drugs. He was he was going, uh, he was overdosing on on the shit and blah blah blah. It wasn't this officer. Back the blue. And what it came down to was evidence being presented on both sides in a courtroom, like how our justice system is set up. And it 
the court determined that yes there were these other factors but they did not they, we brought in a whole panel of experts to testify no those did not have any part to play in floyd's death the issue with that though is because there was all this also this argument where it's like everyone saw that video like you'd have to be living under a rock to not have seen that video before this trial happened so everyone on that jury had some perception about what happened beforehand so was it really fair and unbiased and like that's how our court's supposed to work with with something that high profile like does it even become something different you had you had the the defend uh the pub and uh, not a public defender you had chauvin's defense attorney trying to get the court trying to get the the trial done in a different jurisdiction just to avoid like people in that area who clearly saw the reaction to what this happened which was just mass rioting basically and then yeah he wants them sequestered he doesn't want them to be influenced by the media coverage which was massive for this trial and none of that went through so what, what well, like maybe there's a case here now for this was a some kind of mistrial and now you have this person who may otherwise be clearly guilty getting off for some stupid technicality I, it's it's imperfect of course and I, I think that plays into my question of the you know where where does the public perception and public opinion come into play there's not one example of a of a of a, of a public or a, a high profile case i mean we can go down the list oj simpson's murder trial uh michael jackson's molestation trial you know these massive stars that have you know so many fans but also so many people on the other side saying oh yeah they're guilty you can't tell me that even a judge themselves is in a bubble and not hearing you know what does a judge do if 99 percent of the people uh in the court of public opinion think that this person's guilty i would hope that a judge could be impartial but they're not robots they're human beings and they, they might worry about the social implications of of i may i would hope that this isn't true but i can't help but ask did the judge decide to sentence Derek chauvin in the way that he did out of fear that if he didn't there would be uproar um even though there still was uproar it wasn't as much as like well you only get 10 years or you know he got the maximum i don't know i, I it's and it, what's the answer to that the, the, I, the, I think the question would be statistically how many times, how often does this happen? If a case like Osama bin Laden, if that case is so specifically heinous with all the proof in the world, and it's such a caveated case that, you know, this is such a unique thing, maybe we have to be okay with having the option on the table of the death penalty just so it's like, okay, yeah, that's super fucking bad. We can't allow that. We have to set up a precedent that, you know, we will not negotiate or give terrorists the light of day and, and oh, don't worry, you'll get probation in, in 25 years. No, that that's off the table. You're, you're done. But in the general courtroom, especially with the case with Derek Chauvin, that was not premeditated murder. That was that was negligence and, you know, horrible policing. But also, I would probably argue accidental. Like I, I, I didn't. I don't think Derek Chauvin came to work that day wanting to kill someone and definitely did not come to work today wanting to kill someone because of the color of their skin. But the, the people who were calling for the maximum punishment, even maybe the death penalty, because, you know, he killed George Floyd and, you know, this awful, awful thing happened and this continues to happen. So we should kill him for it. That's 
that's just a, mis- a general misunderstanding of the case. It's a misunderstanding of our law system. And there's a reason why those people don't have a say in the courtroom. But if they're the majority, I don't want to submit to mob rule. But I can totally see a case, you know, God forbid another Derek Chauvin style case happens in the next in the next two years when this wound is still pretty fresh. What's the response? Is the response from the majority of the public enough to start another summer of riots that go further than what, where they did before? You know, we the Minneapolis Police Department literally retreated and their entire department burned out because they made the tactical decision to not shoot or or fight civilians. They thought, you know what, they're hurting. They might be emotional and having horrible judgment, but they're doing their thing and let's just let them do their thing. That was the argument for looting. I'm all for protest, of course, but the argument for looting is like, well, you know, we got to let them, we got to make them feel good. Let them, let them do their thing. We don't want to hurt, you know, why is, no. Every month, Grant and I will tackle an important topic while enjoying a glass of whiskey. If you don't agree with our opinions on these issues, that's great. We want to hear from you and hear your side of the story. Our goal is to understand different perspectives and engage in conversations that matter without regressing to the same division that exists in our hyperpartisan politics. We can and must do better in finding common ground. Discussions breed solutions. The Kogan Conversation is a podcast that welcomes respectful discourse, paired with a glass of whiskey, of course. If you'd like to offer your take on an upcoming episode or join us for a glass of whiskey, please reach out to us on social media or head over to our website and send us a message. Wouldn't it be nice to know what topics are coming up and when an episode is releasing from the Kogan Conversation? Subscribing to our podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, following us on Spotify, and of course following us on social media helps immensely. You can also head over to our website and sign up for our email list so you never miss out on any episodes or information. Cheers! I'm going to take it to an extreme here. Let's let's say you you have uh, this person who is determined guilty and Derek Chauvin that is sentenced to multiple decades in prison for what he did, maximum amount of years, and it's like okay, this will satiate some of the anger, not all of it, but enough of it that we can just like you know like get people to calm down a bit. And I'm not saying that he's not guilty, but like that's there's a aspect to it. That there is and a part of it comes from like televising this thing like the judge in the case was like oh well we got to televise it because it's 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 important enough that if they're not in there people are gonna whatever outcome people are gonna think that it was phony or something like that's the justification but meanwhile you it's like oj where you have like crazy ratings surrounding something like this and it becomes like a media circus basically and at one point does that just like devolve into the future where you have like Oh, we have an upswell of of people angry about this one thing. Let's find someone who fits the bill for guilt in this instance, put them on trial for all the world to see, and sentence them to death by lions in the Colosseum, basically. At one point, does it just does it become that at a certain point? Because that's exactly what happened in Rome. It turned into to to entertainment and fanfare. Like, oh, the people don't love me. Well, let me give them blood and guts.
They love that shit. I think as technology grows and as I, I think as as we become more sadistic as a as a culture, because I think we're getting there. I think we're 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 becoming desensitized to all these things. When nine eleven happened, reporting stations were so hesitant to show the gruesome reality of people jumping out of the building when the plane had hit and, and was burning the building. People were jumping to their death because they knew that was a better death than what was either suffocating or being crushed by a building. They could control they could control their destiny in that final moment. The stations were hesitant to put that on, on TV. And now you can just Google it on YouTube. You can see all the videos, all the raw footage. But just a few days ago from when we're recording this, the Afghanistan uh, shit show happened and the Taliban, uh, inv- you know, took, took over. And there's videos of, of, of Afghanistan uh, civilians and people who had worked with our, our military clinging to a, a, an Air Force C-17 Airbus trying to leave the country cnn and msnbc and fox are putting that on on daytime television of like people falling from the plane and a guy stuck in the wheel well flapping his legs and it's like you know we we have become so far removed from and I, you know I, I love transparency but i think there's a there's something to be said about i don't know taste having taste and on how you portray and and report things and that might not be good for our culture i don't know i, I think there's a larger question a larger debate or discussion there that I don't think we need to get into, but it's just, it's a point that I'm I'm trying to make because I think how we handle certain crimes is indicative of how we have become more barbaric as a culture. The desensitization to a lot of what is going on around us, especially in this country, like it really did in the last 20 years really ramp up with all of the school shootings and mass shootings that started happening and it just there was a point around like right after sandy hook and right around like when las vegas happened and it was just like every week something new like that happened and and people just started shrugging their shoulders and it it was it's horrifying and yeah you see something like that video and in afghanistan with the plane taking off and it it, it's still like it really evokes something in me that i it's it's horrifying to see something like that and and it and and the messages around it are just so jumbled where I'm like I don't know what to think about this situation anymore. And maybe is that the end goal? Like it's like okay, the majority of my life this thing has been happening. We're reaching maybe some kind of conclusion here, probably not. But just seeing something like that, I'm like my brain broke. I'm like I I I can't understand why any of this is happening. So I'm becoming apathetic. So just do whatever. Whatever happens, happens. And that's not a good headspace to be in, I don't think. No, I agree. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, again, that I think that comes down to trust as well. How, how much you trust the systems and the powers that be that are handling that situation uh, from the Department of Defense. And, you know, they give press conferences and they, they try to be transparent as possible without, you know, divulging national security information and then again, you know, Afghanistan is, you know, we're, we're going to talk more about this in the future, um, but Afghanistan's a weird situation, especially because we've been there for so long and there's a lot of questions of why since the beginning. And so there's a lot, there's public trust, 
and see, this is the thing with public trust is that it's not just our criminal justice system. It's it's all of our systems. You, you There used to be a time when our top brass are all of our generals and our commander in chief. And it's like we trusted that they were making the right decision about a, a military operation because it was a smart thing, because they had the information of, you know, on the ground that we did not. And it's like, yeah, you know, they're they're the most trained and well-educated. They were never doing it for an ulterior, ulterior motive. They were always doing it for the mission, the, 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 the best course of action for the mission. But we find out that that's not true. We find, we, there's lots of documents in the Pentagon papers and the things that come out that it's like, uh, no, some of these guys stood to make money off of what, the things that they were doing. And they had, they had ulterior motives to, to line their pockets. The Congress will basically sign off on anything that goes on because defense contractors will pay them and they make a bunch of money and uh, insider trading for different, defense contractors and and when they go public on on the marketplace it's like okay so if, if we can't trust what we would consider our heroes our 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 police men our, our firefighters our soldiers the people that are in the line of duty doing things that you know that, that you know we look to as brave and heroic and courageous if we can't trust them because the people in charge of them are doing shady things we can't trust the court system either because they're run and funded by the same people and so that th there's a bigger cultural implication here than just well is the death penalty good or bad I, I think i mean there's a lot of racial connotations with the death penalty too and uh, not just racial but socioeconomic you know how how often is it that someone who has uh enough money to pay for a lawyer can basically skirt the death penalty and get a different sentence because their lawyer knows what they're doing versus someone who is basically restricted to, I mean, they're so indignant they need a, a public defender and their public defender is going to be hit or miss because you might have one that's been great or you might have one that is just doing their time as a public defender before they can finally leave and go to a private a private law firm. Yeah, you know, they're going to they're gonna judge cases and, and, and adjudicate cases in very different ways. That, that shit happens too. So I, I don't, I don't know. I, it's... I'm trying to weed out the emotional response, but I'm also understanding that the system has the cracks that people fall through and it, it, it it's frustrating, but it doesn't make me want to just say, okay, death penalty, whenever. I think we, we need to be, I, I'm leaning more towards on, I'm with you on, on this, but I, I still, I still reserve the right to say that if, if, if I had a hand on the wheel, if I had my personal eyes on a situation or a case that was irrefutable, it was undoctored, it was proven to be, you know, with all the evidence possible, guaranteed, which is impossible to do. I'm, I'm talking about a very utopian type situation that everything's perfect. I then reserve the right to say, yeah, that guy should die. But that's not where we're at. Yeah, I mean, and you, you talked about it before that goes into this this idea of like, who the system labels a criminal or an alleged criminal. Like you have these disparate kinds of people that you're representing at the same time. And I mean, I guess that's the burden of any lawyer out there, defense attorney, um, any judge out there who have to put on that face and, and, and adhere to the system as best as they can, even if they have personal prejudices in the situation. We've talked about before, like the the idea that any person who wasn't otherwise, who was innocent and who was put to death would be reason enough. But we talked about like, do we want to give the state that kind of power to have decision rights over a person's life? And the fact that it is that shaky and there's that many holes that have to be 
like filled in and i at the end of the day i don't think we should be giving the state as it is that right to a person's life i am still totally on the board with like we have the one of the best things we've done as a society is democratize the justice system democratize uh policing it's like and and yeah like you mentioned like firefighters soldiers these people that who are otherwise going to take the risk and do the job that most people aren't willing to do like that is one of the best things we've done and i want to support that and i want and a part of that is i want to fix it to make it the best possible thing that we can but then within that yeah i want a police officer to have a gun to be able to defend me when it's a life and death situation but if we're in a courtroom and there's all these factors going in like no maybe i don't want (laughs) any other influence to be able to determine if i'm in a seat and i'm innocent and i'm getting put to death for something i did not do i think it comes down to education man i think that we have people who don't understand how our system works and who think retribution and vengeance are the best way to do something even though data has proven time and time again that vengeance is not or uh the death penalty is not uh, a good deterrent it's also not cost effective it's also not uh even regarded as i mean moral by most people but the the problem i mean every every argument i found in favor of the death penalty was emotionally charged that they thought that retribution was the best course of action because this person was such a scumbag of a human being that uh it they deserve the death penalty and that's to me if that's the only argument for it i think it's barbaric if there were data points that said that the death penalty is being used because it is the ultimate deterrent and places where the death penalty is being used uh murder is non-existent well i mean maybe there would be a point there maybe that would be a different conversation maybe we'd say okay well out of the 17 people in the last two decades that have killed people we put them to death and there's been no other murder okay but that's not true that's actually the opposite is true and with that being said I think there's no way I can justify being supportive of the death penalty if it, it doesn't make financial sense and it doesn't actually serve a purpose for our justice system other than just for a quick emotional feel good. Yay, we killed him because he killed someone else. And that's not I don't think that's right. This podcast is a work of passion and it's completely self-funded. We want to continue providing this platform dedicated to free thought and conversation, but we kindly ask that you show your support. Patreon isn't just a platform where you can give a small monthly donation. It also gives you exclusive access to extended, unedited episodes, bonus content, as well as creative input into whatever we cover. Being a supporter on Patreon makes you a member of the Kogan Conversation family and helps us continue this passion project. For just a few bucks a month, you can help us grow. The more we grow, the more perks can come to being a supporter on Patreon. Head over to our website and learn how you can sign up. This concludes our discussion on the death penalty. What are your thoughts? Are there any angles we didn't cover that you thought we should have? In September, we'll be discussing censorship, both the philosophy behind it and how it's been applied today in big tech. Should we censor harmful information or allow everyone a voice regardless? Tune in on September 6th for part one. 
In the meantime, if you've been enjoying our new format and monthly topical discussions, we would greatly appreciate sharing this podcast with friends and family and help spread our message of the importance of nuance and understanding. Please give us a like and share on social media. Also, let us know if you have any feedback. We really appreciate it. During these divisive and political social times, we want to find ways we can have conversations without assuming the worst in each other. And what better way to do so than with a glass of whiskey? If you like this podcast, please like, subscribe, follow, and share us across all social media and podcast platforms. We greatly appreciate your listenership. I'm Alan. And I'm Grant. Thank you for listening to The Kogan Conversation. This podcast is about engaging with different perspectives, values, and ideas. We want to learn how to progress conversations on important topics without assuming the worst in each other. Each month, we will tackle a new topic while enjoying a glass of our favorite spirit and shed light on the beauty of good conversation. Until next time. Cheers.